It ricocheted and Austin Matthews feeds it ahead and away goes Tavares. Got Riley with them. Morgan Riley, game winner. Welcome, everybody, to the Over 6 Sports Podcast. It's your boy, Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me, as always, from the Cairn in Milton, it is Cam the Turf King Charlton. What's going on, Cam? Man, it is an exhausting week to be a greenskeeper in Ontario at the moment. (laughs) Golf courses are closed. They might be open Saturday. They might be open Wednesday. They might be open June 2nd. I have no idea right now. So it's an exhausting week trying to prepare for Saturday and hope for the best but still possibly expect to be later. So it's just an exhausting week overall for me. How are you doing, Burke? I'm, again, I'm, I'm still in the, the constant state of uh, anxiety surrounding the Leafs and Hab series starting tomorrow. Um, before I get into that, I just want to circle back here quick. So you've been working tirelessly, tirelessly to get the golf courses ready to go uh, for the opening. Now, can you give us a Turf King update on how the course is looking right now and what you guys need to do to be prepared for opening this weekend or next? Well, we got a lot of fescue to cut. Glencairn's a link style course, so we've been cutting fescue nonstop. It's four to five days worth of cutting. We have 168 bunkers that all need raked, added sand, so we're about a third done that. Since they haven't been raked in months, there's a ton of weeds in them, so we're handpicking all the weeds right now, spraying as we can. Dandelions everywhere that we haven't been able to catch to, so trying to catch up. It's been a couple long days trying to prepare in case we do open Saturday, so Glencairn's a little different in the amount of fescue and bunkers we have, so that's really been the big thing right now. And then, of course, in Ontario right now, it is super dry, so we've been having to water greens, hand water greens, and it's, it's just busy right now. It's a long week. Well, the good news is is that uh, not only is Cam working tirelessly, but I'm sure that every superintendent in Ontario is just raring to go, and our time is coming, the five-week whatever wait, I forget exactly how long it's been, is coming to an end. So golfers of Ontario rejoice. They will finally let us play. And I think that's a perfect transition into the first uh, – a topic I want to talk about and we want to talk about on our headlines. Um, so Cam, do you want to, to, to talk to us a little bit about the let us play movement that Barstool Sports and the boys from the Four Play podcast are doing this week? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people all over the world who question a lot of what Barstool does. A lot of people don't like Dave Portnoy, whatnot, and like you can have your opinions on them. But what's happened with the let, let them play thing is just crazy. I don't know if everyone's seen it, but basically the NCAA had a regional event for women's golf. They canceled it because the course wasn't championship playable. All the girls thought it was playable. It's a level playing field for everybody. It's golf. It's the same conditions for everybody. What does that mean? Like championship level as opposed to like normal level? Because like how, like how much worse could that course have actually been? So there was holes that were partially underwater. So it would have meant moving some tees up into fairways, maybe turning a par four into a par three. 
some of that stuff, playing lift clean in place and areas because the mud and puddles were there. And it was going to be different, but that's the one thing about golf is it's a level playing field for all the girls out there. So that's what they were arguing. They wanted to play, but the NCAA being the NCAA, I have lots of opinions on them, but they just didn't want to play. They were like, oh, this isn't up to our standards, so screw it. We're not playing the top six teams, the top six individuals. will go on to the nationals, and this regional just won't matter. So let me ask you this before you get into the Barstool thing then. So why didn't the NCAA just pick a different course? It seems like Barstool was pretty – like they, they were able to find a course pretty darn easy – why was NCAA, Why did the NCAA just be like, okay, we're just going to move it? That's a great question. I think that's what everyone's asking, uh, especially with everything that we've seen Barstool and Riggs and Foreplay do to make this happen now. Well, let's get into that. So what? Uh, so I know that. So Riggs kind of spearheaded this whole thing, and he, you know, crossed all the I's, dotted all the T's, got golf course, got the golf course. Uh, who are they letting them play for free? They're competent. I know that uh, Barstool released some merch to. Uh, some let them play merch to fund, you know, some of the, some of the thing, but really, I mean, as much as it's a good PR move for them, I think that, you know, for, especially for the four play guys that this comes just from a soft spot where, you know, they, they've been very vocal about trying to get everybody an equal, equal opportunity to play the game of golf that they love. Yeah. So Riggs is living in Arizona over the summer. He's been to a ton of golf courses. They have a ton of connections for four play. So as soon as he saw this, he kind of, he's run a Barstool Classic, which is all over the States. It's just an amateur fun tournament. So he's been in running tournaments and knows how to run them. So he kind of reached out to a couple of the people who helped run the Classic and like, can we make a tournament happen? Because for all these seniors, this is the last tournament they'll ever play competitively. There's a lot of these girls who will never make the LPGA, especially if they're not the top ranked players. This could be their last competitive tournament ever. And it's just, they're not going to play golf. So Riggs saw that and he's like, that can't happen. What can we do? And I guess right away, Dave Portnoy saw the video from the NCAA and he said, yeah, Riggs, you have full backing from Barstool, full backing from a multi-million, billion-dollar company. Just get it done. Let's see what you can do. So with all their contacts they have in Arizona, Riggs was able to find a golf course, Whirlwind Golf Course in Arizona, and they basically are going to comp the two days. They moved all the tee times from three days because they had practice rounds on Wednesday, which is today, and they're doing... two rounds or three rounds Thursday, Friday with fans. They've had photographers from universities come down all comped. So most of the teams they've had 40 something people come. So it's a good percentage of the teams. Not everyone's going to make it. Some of the teams still get to go to the national championship because of the buy and the way it's working, but it's giving these girls who don't have the chance, these seniors, these other ones, the chance to play again as a team. So there's a whole lot of loopholes they had to go through. They had compliance centers from Purdue and Mississippi State helping them out, figuring out how we can do this because they wouldn't be able to play as a team without that. So there was a ton of extra work done there and it ended up all being good and they're doing it and it's just super exciting seeing everything. So, I mean, it's, yeah, a great PR move, but it's a soft spot. Like Riggs has admitted, he's going to be crying lots. When he's watching a senior walk down that 18th fairway on Friday, he's going to be in tears. That he made this happen. He's given these girls, young women, another chance to play competitive golf. And it's just great to see. It's going to be awesome. I just like to comment as well that, like, if this was not to put the, a, a gender issue into it, but I'm sure that if this was the men's, and this has been a conversation actually in the US for a long time, is inequality in men's and women's sports, that if this was the men's NCAA tournament, like golf tournament, I have no doubt that they would have figured out 
a different course. The, the NCAA would have moved heaven and earth to make that happen. Um, just unfortunate to see that, you know, when it comes to women's sports, they just, frankly, they just doesn't seem like they care that much. But just talking about like seniors and stuff, I mean, look at what happened last year with, um, you know, like the Mar- like March Madness got canceled last year. I'm sure there's some guys who it was their last kick at the can, their seniors. They, you know, probably would have had another year of eligibility, maybe, um, depending on what the NCAA decided with COVID and everything. But a lot of those guys moved on. Right, and they never got that last shot. So it's just, yeah, it's really nice to see that, um, you know, they'll they'll be able to do it. And let's just also remember too that Riggs would would be down in uh, Kia. What what's it called? Kia. Yeah, Kiowa for the PGA Kiawa. Championship. Barstool has three passes, so Trent, Frankie, and Riggs were going to be there. Riggs gave up his pass to one of the producers of the podcast because he wants to be there at this lady event. So he's giving up his inside the ropes pass at a major championship to just be around this tournament, help run this tournament. So just everything around it. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's amazing to see. Yep. We love it. And, uh, you know, they have our, they absolutely have our, you know, full support in, uh, and this thing, and it'll be really interesting to see kind of some, some videos, some highlights. And I don't, it'll be tough for them to kind of broadcast the whole thing, but I'm sure that they'll, you'll see some videos and stuff come out and, you know, Every time that Barstool, uh, you know, foreplay and Barstool Sports put on the Barstool Classic, whatever it is, you always see clips and everybody's always having a good time. And uh, I don't think most of the women are of legal drinking age, but if they are, they'll have some uh, Barstool uh, Owens Mixer Transfusion down there uh, and they'll be able to get hydrated for the event. Uh, so let's, uh, what, what, what's, the, what's the next thing you want to go into on the highlights? We got, we got a bunch of stuff to get into today. I mean, I think we got to get right into the kind of our NHL recap here. Also, be considering we didn't really touch on two series because it mm. changed by the time the last yes, podcast true. happened. So I think you, that's a good place to start. Before you get, like, did you actually, so when the series swapped, and we're talking about Colorado um, was playing Minnesota and Vegas was playing St. Louis, and then it swapped. So now you have Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas, Minnesota. Um, Cam, have you, did you pick your series after it swapped? Yeah, I had my picks. Uh, okay, right away well, and... well, let's let's just start right there then. Let's just get into that. Um, and before we give our opinions, I'll just or what what we're thinking. Just for full disclosure, I'll start with uh, I had Colorado. Let's start with Colorado. St. Colorado versus St. Louis. Um, I had Colorado over St. Louis in five games, and um, I, I I still think that out of those two teams, Minnesota St. Louis, I think that Minnesota is definitely more geared towards success. Um, I had Minnesota over Colorado if they were playing in seven games. Um, but I don't think that St. Louis is, is, it will be nearly as competitive. Um, you know, they, they, Colorado handily won. They was four, one the other night. So, you know, it's, uh, it seems to me like that one's going to be over quick. Bennington was fired up, wanted to fight Grubauer, like the whole nine yards. Like it, it was, it's a mess, but I just look at that emotion, like, I just feel like St. Louis knows that the writing's on the wall there. It's it's obvious watching the play that that one team is is just a, a tier above the other. Yeah, I mean, I have the same thing. Colorado in five. I question trying to go a hot take and go in four, but I think St. Louis will sneak out one. They are Stanley Cup winners two years ago. They're a good team. They got a lot of solid pieces, but Colorado's just too good. And you saw it the other night. They were dominant. They had, what, 40, 50 shots? It wasn't even a, really a close game. I think it was, were, fifth, was it 51 shots, I think? Yeah. I think it was just something outrageous. They're just so good. McKinnon is, and McCarr are just elite players in this league. 
And this series, honestly, is going to be over quick. I think St. Louis can sneak out one, but this isn't going to be close. No, and uh, and game game two runs tonight, so we'll see kind of what happens there. By the time you're listening to the podcast, then you're gonna, um, you know, you'll you'll know a little bit more and and see what's going to be happening with that. So, uh, the second series that we talked about, but it was mismatched was uh, was Vegas, and Vegas is playing Minnesota. Um, I had Vegas over Minnesota in six games, um, and the series is tied. Uh, 1-1 with Vegas winning 3-1 over Minnesota last night. And, I mean, the first game, to be honest, was a a little bit of a shocker to me. I mean, it was 0-0 going into overtime. Minnesota kind of scores a fluky goal. It it wasn't anything special by any means um, to take a 1-0 win. And, you know, I feel like it it looked to me like Vegas was, again, a class above Minnesota. But you got to give them credit. I mean, they lost 3-1 last night. Um, I didn't watch the end of it. It was too late. I'm not sure if one was an empty netter. But it's still, it was a relatively close game in the second period. I mean, Minnesota was up one nothing, Got scored 25 sec- on by Vegas, 25 second after that. That game could have honestly been 3-4-0 at that point because Flurry was absolutely standing on his head in the first half of the game from what I saw. So I still have Vegas over Minnesota in six, but I think that this series, and as I said before, I think Minnesota will be the peskier, as to coin the phrase that we like to use the most, since we don't have the Sens anymore. Uh, Minnesota will be uh, <laughs> Minnesota will be pesky. So, I, but I still have Vegas in six. Yeah, I kind of went back and forth on this one actually. So Vegas actually had a winning record against, or Minnesota has a winning record against Vegas, but I still have to take Vegas in seven is what I have. I mean, Minnesota's look good. If it wasn't for Flurry, it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota was up too. I know Talbot played unreal as well the first game, but last night was all Flurry really. He just played phenomenal, and he's done it for years. I mean, the guy's made 15 straight postseasons. Put that into perspective. That's ridiculous. No, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's made 15 straight postseasons, so he's making it every year. doesn't matter what team he's playing for where. He's phenomenal. And... I really do think Minnesota has a chance at winning this. You're right. They're the peskier out of this teams. Like Colorado and Vegas are above everyone else. But I think Minnesota is going to give Vegas a run for their money here. I think it's going to go seven. And I'm going to take Vegas. But it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota wins a series. No, it wouldn't. And I, that's and originally, I mean, I as I said, I had Minnesota over Colorado. Where I just thought. And, and you brought up Cam Talbot. I've, I should have mentioned him off the start. Because Fleury played on real lastly. But Talbot made some really good saves and he's looking i think the big thing is is that he's looking super calm in the net he's not thrashing around he's you know he's he's you know squaring up to the puck all the time he's on the edge of the crease he's being super confident with what he's doing and that can go a long way and we as history has taught us if you get a goalie that just picks it up in the playoffs and your team just does enough you don't have to be perfect you just have to do just enough and let your goalie um heat up and and you can go a long way well, that's the one thing about watching this series. You watch Flurry, and he makes 100 flashy saves because he kind of gets himself out of position, and he's super athletic, super flexible. Talbot plays more of when he's playing it really well. He plays more of that Carey Price, super quiet, makes a lot of tough saves look super easy. So, I mean, from as a fan, you probably, unless you really know goaltending techniques, you're like, okay, he played it fine, but Flurry way outplayed him. Actually, he just makes a lot of harder saves look way easier than Flurry does. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's. Um, so that's what we've got now. So a- as we said, we got um, the Blues and the Avalanche play game two tonight. 
Colorado again is up one nothing in that series, and then you got uh, let's let's go to uh, the real shocker of uh, of a game today: Flames versus Canucks. No, I'm just kidding. Flames beat the Canucks six two. Nobody cares um, if you're a Flames fan or Canucks. Yeah, go touch ahead. on this though. So they were waiting for those that game to end today to hand McDavid the Art Ross and Matthews the Rocket. They had to wait for the regular season to be over. Did they honestly think anybody was going to pass either of them? Is it was it even possible from those two teams? Like, really, did you no. have to wait? I mean, I'm just it's, like, it's not like it's McDavid playing Ottawa, right? Like, if McDavid was ten goals back of Ottawa, I could make an argument. That all right, maybe hold back the Art Ross. You never know. Maybe every single puck McDavid shoots goes in the net. Like, I mean, it's a stretch. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's like, possibility, we, but not those. Yeah, two like teams. we joked around a week ago because McDavid had like four games left and Matthews had one. That the or the Rockets not completely wrapped up. It should be, but if McDavid scored ten goals in four games, it would shock nobody. No. But I mean, with one game left, with nobody, I think even close in points or goals to anybody, I'm like, really, do we have to wait? But the NHL did it anyways. All right, let's let's stop talking about Canucks and Flames because nobody cares. They're not in the playoffs. I again, I know they have to play from from TV contracts and other crap, and they want to earn game checks. But I, I mean, the fact that they're playing during the playoffs is just so dumb. Um, I totally forgot they were playing even today. Um, another game running tonight, and let's go to this series next, is uh, is the Preds and Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes in game one. Uh, I mean, I like again, like just refreshing what I had on this. I had Carolina over the Predators in five. It honestly could be Carolina over the Predators in four. Um, the, the Preds just didn't look good. They, they, they're just not good. I, I Again, and we talked about this last week. They barely made it into the playoffs, and it's pretty obvious why. Yeah, and I said right from the start, I would have way rather seen Dallas here because I think Dallas could have at least won a few games, pushed this series. Nashville's not good. They struggle to score. They got some really solid defense, and Saros can get hot or Rene can get hot. The weirdest thing about Carolina is I thought it was shocking to see them go Nadelkovic in game one instead of Mrazek. But, I mean, he played solid. He looked shaky early, but Carolina's just so deep. So much better. Yeah, they're going to struggle to score at times, but they just come after you line after line, and they're just by far the better team. And, yeah, this doesn't look like it's going to be much of a series, and neither of us anticipated it would. No, exactly. And and one of the things that I like, though, is they, they the Hurricanes had a full barn. Like, they had an absolute full barn. The place was rocking, and, God, was it ever good to see fans back in the building. I don't care what fan base you're from. Um, but just to see them, you know, come out and take the ice before the national anthem, the place is just humming. The sirens are going off. The towels are freaking out. Like stall scores. I think it was the second goal or the third goal. And the place just goes bananas. And you, you saw a video on ice level of, and man, it just gives me chills just talking about it. Yeah. And we got a playoff surge at the end of the game too. Got to appreciate that. They appreciate the fans and the surge is back. Well, and, and it was a lame surge. I'll give you that. But, I, you know, I, I don't think that they actually thought they were going to do it. And then they're like, man, we got a full barn for the first time in a year and a half. Like, we got, or a year, we got to do it. Yeah, I mean, right? it's just got to pump you up as a player. It's got to be oh, super yeah. fun. And you're like, oh, we got to do it. We're the Canes. We got to do this now. What series do you want to go into next? I got one that I've got circled here that, that I've got a couple things to say about. Let's go for it then, Burke. All right. Leave it Tam- to you. Tam- Tampa Bay Lightning over the – or the Tampa Bay Mets over the Florida Panthers, and I had it in six. The reason I say Tampa Bay Mets on the TSN app yesterday, um, Tampa's playing Flor- Florida, 
And for whatever reason, I don't know who in the graphics department, but they accidentally put the Mets logo <laughs> instead of the Lightning logo. And I just thought it was funny. I was like, man, they're so new. Every, everybody in the U.S. is so New York-centric. That doesn't matter where you're from. They're putting a New York logo on them. <laughs> but Tampa's 2-0. and I mean, they're, they've got a 2 nothing series lead. I I had Tampa over Florida in six. As I said, uh, man, I just I really thought that Florida was going to come out and win the first one at least. I thought it definitely was going to be a split at the max. I didn't think Florida was going to win two, but I thought it'd be a split. Um, but as we talked about, man, Cooch comes out two goals and an assist in his first game, I believe. And just, I mean, it doesn't look like he's even missed the game. No. And that's the thing. You kind of, he was a massive question mark. It looks like he's been healthy for a month now with the way he played in game one. I mean, if you actually look, watch the games though, game one and game two, this doesn't feel like it's a 2 nothing series. This feels like it's a 1-1 series. This has been super tight. That first game was just unreal. We had scrums everywhere, speed, hitting. It was just a great hockey game. That's playoff hockey, and it was so fun to see that in the Battle of Florida. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, the first game, and people were tweeting about it, was one of the, you know, people were saying, this is the best, this is what playoff hockey is about. This is one of the best playoff games, yada, yada. Um, but at the end of the day, the defending champs are up to scratch. And, you know, I think Florida's going to win a game for sure. But at this point, yeah, I don't know. Like, they're going back to Tampa. They were in Florida for two games. So yeah, you're going it's... back to Tampa. They're going to have fans. Like, I don't know. They, they could be. It could be four. And the big thing I have the issue with Florida is just you got to make up a goalie. It's playoff time. Neither goalie, Vasilevsky or Bobrovsky, played great in game one, but then you're going to go to Drieger like Bobrovsky in a five, four game. I actually surprisingly didn't think either goalie played that bad in a five, four game. You think, Oh, they got lit up, but both goalies were fine actually. So just to go back and forth, I have no idea where they're going for game three with their goalie. I just, I don't think you need to be trying to go with that. Just run with the guy right now. And well, keep in mind too. Yeah. Like, like keep in mind too, like third period, Braden point scores a breakaway goal through the pads. Like, you can't really fault him for that one. I mean, you were four, four with a minute and a half left and just defensive breakdown and it's over. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I would have even, if they went to game two with Bobrovsky again, and he had a short leash, like he lets one or two quick ones in or one or two bad ones in, then pull him right then. But I just didn't really like the call of your guys. Goalie's getting paid 10 and a half million. And he played fine in game one. He wasn't the reason you lost. You couldn't kill with penalties. The reason you lost, you took some stupid yep. penalties and couldn't kill them wasn't your goalie so don't try and throw the blame on him i know i'm taking that personal because i'm a goalie but (laughs) i just think it was a bad move when you should be like you're the higher seed yeah it's tampa they're defending champs they got everybody back i just think it's some drama and stuff you don't need to add to an already tough series that you're going to be in well we got two series left and then we got the north division and the north division kicks off tonight edmonton versus winnipeg at nine o'clock so that's going to be an exciting one can't wait to watch um, I'm sure you already have your McDavid over two and a half point bet in or whatever it is. Could be one and a half because it's playoffs. But we got two series left. Which one you want to touch on? Let's go on the one that's currently going on right now in the uh, Caps and Bruins. All right, let's do we, it. What do you got? We got 1-1 again tonight. So as you're listening to this, this is just near the end of the second. Taylor Hall has scored again. So there's mm-hmm. a playoff performing Hall. And, I mean, this series has been fun to watch. This is... 
this is playoff hockey. I mean, you watch that first game, that Ovechkin-Wilson-Backstrom line, how do you match up against that? Ovechkin was killing everybody, including Backstrom, but he absolutely destroyed <laughs> Krejci. Like, I, did, I didn't think Krejci was getting up. But when you got Wilson and Ovechkin running around like that, playing hard, playing physical, and then scoring too, Wilson scored the first playoff goal of the yeah. year. You're like, you can't match this line right now. They're just so physical and they can score. I was going to say, man, Twitter exploded when Wilson scored the first goal of the playoffs. Like, the amount of, like, trolls that were like, this guy should have been suspended for 20 games and he's scoring the first game of the playoffs. This is what the NHL wanted. Yeah, this is what the NHL wanted. Because it's entertaining hockey. Like, seriously, get your head out of your ass. This this is great to watch. I mean, Wilson was dumping guys all over the place. Um, Chara, like, I think it was game two, Chara just killed Corelli in the corner. Like, this is almost, almost, not quite, it's almost as good as uh, Philly-Pittsburgh from a couple years back, probably four or five years ago, when they were just murdering each other. But this is the beauty about the playoffs, man. Every single game, there's more and more animosity. Series is tied at one. By the way, to our gambling people as well, the Caps were plus 145 tonight. Uh, on the money line, they've got uh, Samsonov and Net, and Bruins are at home. So yeah, I mean it's too late to bet it now. I'd be I haven't looked at the line in game, but Cavs were not favorited tonight. But again, I don't really see how. I mean, I get the goalie's not the best thing, and Anderson had to go in because um, what's his face got hurt. Vanacek. Um, yeah, got hurt, and so I they didn't run with him again. He didn't. He looked okay. Yeah, to me, I just look at this series and to see that big of a number, like both games have gone to overtime. I actually think the Caps are the better team in this. To me, this is a pick series every game, and this shouldn't be much of a number either way. It should be minus 110 both ways. It's a pick to me, and it's looking like it again tonight. We're tied 1-1. If this goes to overtime, I'm not shocked, and it's just that close of a series. And it's it's a fun series to watch. If you like playoff hockey, if you like high skill, I mean, the – perfection line as they call them on boston looks great wilson ovechkin look great it's it's a fun series there's there's only one series and we already talked about it that should even come close to a plus 145 line and it's uh carolina nashville like it's hurricane yeah, spreads the, that's it i'll take the blues at like plus 200 actually against the avalanche well i don't they could get, be up yeah. they could be up there too that's true that's true but yeah, this um, this series is a pick at each game to me. Yeah, well, and this is similar to to Pittsburgh and the Islanders, right? Yeah, exactly. Moving into that, that's uh, it's a good series again too. It's been close, and you just see both one goal games. We got just it's another close series. Like I said, I can see this entire division. The games could go five one team if they get every bounce, but all these series could go seven each way. I really didn't know who to take in either of these. I mean, Crosby looks good. He's made a couple of awesome plays. And, again, I don't know what the Islanders are doing in that. Like, they've switched it up game to game, and it just doesn't make sense. You had their rookie goalie go in there, make 39 saves, get the win. No, sorry, Varlamov's in game two. I mean, they lost 2-1. He wasn't the fault they lost. But I just – why are you switching goalies when your rookie goalie makes 39 saves, gets you the win in game one? Yeah, it it, it makes no sense. Like, and, I mean, I don't – like maybe you have a differing opinion, but I really don't think that Pittsburgh looked amazing in game two. Like I thought they were beatable. And I just, I just felt like the bounces went Pitt's way. 
Um, they, they played really tight defensively. They didn't give the Islanders any move. They kind of do what the Islanders do to everybody. They played boring hockey. Really, really boring, boring hockey. But it, it gets the job done. I mean, the score is pretty evident of that. 2-1 game. Yeah, this has really been a kind of shut down, not give up high danger scoring chances kind of series so far. It's really not great hockey to watch in general. Like if you're comparing it to this Cap series or the Florida series, this is not great hockey to watch. It's quite boring. That's Barry Trotz style. That can be Pittsburgh at times. And we'll see what happens though. Like I, I still think Pittsburgh's gonna I think Pittsburgh's gonna pull it off. You've seen some of their veteran leaders come in, Carter, Crosby, and we haven't even talked about Melkin yet. He hasn't played yet, so it's just I really like this Isles team, but I just I don't I don't think they're going to do it this year. They just seem to have too many issues scoring, and that's kind of a big deal. So what you're saying is is that tomorrow night you're betting Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, every time I bet Pittsburgh, the Isles win, so or the Pittsburgh loses. So <laughs> I've just been staying away from this series now because no matter what I, way I bet against Pittsburgh, if I bet for them, they lose. If I bet against them, they win big. So. I'm just going to stay away from it. Well, I mean, we, you threw that out in our, our Madden group chat that you're right before the game. You're like, Hey, sorry about that. Like I bet Pittsburgh they're going to lose. And, and, uh, and Jake from NFL blitz is in that group and was like, uh, thanks a lot. Cam piece of shit. Fucking betting against the betting against the pens. So maybe you should throw them a solid and just bet Islanders and see what happens. Yeah, but the Islanders have also made me more money than any team betting on them this year. So it's just kind of a weird situation to be in. I don't really like it, so I'm just staying away from that series in general. Just, just the no, catch not 20. touching it. The, just the catch-22, of course. All right, well, let's get into uh, – so, I mean, the nice thing is is that by the time that we record next week – and, um, again, I, I haven't mentioned what day we're recording on. I, I kind of at your request ever since you chirped me for it the one week. But, you know, we either record on Tuesday or Wednesday – uh, next week, I think we'll decide, depending on what the series and where everything's at, what we're going to do. Um, obviously, by recording on a Wednesday, which is today, it gives us an op- enough opportunity to have the series progress. So we could have series that are over uh, next week by the time that we um, talk about it. But there are certain series that will not be over because they're starting today and they're starting tomorrow. And let's just do a quick little refresh, I guess. I mean, we've got... Uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg tonight, 9 p.m. Um, is this going to be one of those series that you have to watch every game or you think that you don't think that it's going to be that good of hockey because Edmonton is just going to run over Winnipeg? Yeah, the more and more I hear from Winnipeg with their injuries and stuff, no Ehlers, no Dubois tonight. You'll, by the time you're listening to this, you already know how game one went. But I just think Edmonton's going to take it. Hellebuck, I haven't seen enough. Their defense is not very good. And now they're missing two of their top six forwards. Edmonton should roll over them tonight or yesterday, whenever you're listening to this, and it's going to be rough for them. Did did we pick our North series yet? I don't think we did because I don't think it was solidified last week. Did we? I don't. Yeah, we picked it. I don't have it on here. I didn't even write it down. What did you? Who did you pick? I actually don't even remember who I picked last week. Well, let's do it again then, because I don't have it on my list. I don't think we did. Maybe we might have, but I don't know if we did or not. So touching on this series then, I mean, I'm going to kind of ignore the stuff from tonight. Uh, I'm going to take Edmonton in six. I think Winnipeg's going to sneak a couple. I think Hellebuck will win a game or two. So uh, hopefully that matches up with my pick from last week, but I'm pretty sure it's Edmonton in six. 
And I have no shame in repeating picks. I, I, cause I don't even know why I didn't write it down. I thought that last week we still had, I think there was a Thursday game that could have decided it. Who knows? Uh, we'll have to go back, roll the tape, but Hey, we do it live. We don't, uh, we're no holds bar. We don't edit. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to take Winnipeg in seven. And this is against conventional wisdom because I, I still think that Edmonton's good. And I think that, um, Winnipeg kind of sucks, but at the same time, Edmonton is just not good in playoffs, really, in general. I think, that, you know, they made it to the, what, the second round last couple of years ago or whatever the case was, and I, I don't know. I just, I, I'll take the contrarian angle, mainly because as a Leafs fan, I think I'd prefer to see Winnipeg in the second round than I'd prefer to see Edmonton. Although, as I'm saying that, I mean, Edmonton also sucks in the playoffs, so I don't really care as long as we get by the Habs. So, but uh, just for fun, why not? Winnipeg in seven games and if they shut down mcdavid you never know yeah no i mean i don't really like the pick but i can understand an argument a little bit actually no i really can't i don't see winnipeg winning this series or having not a even chance. not even have a chance i don't know no, like, their defense is too weak and now they're having a bunch of injuries in their top six i don't think yeah, they, they have don't have chance. they don't have healers which we touched on last week i do remember talking about that now they don't have dubois in game one at least they don't have dubois but it's not like Edmonton has any but has any depth either. No, but they Winnipeg has no defense either. Edmonton has a couple of really solid defensemen at least. Okay, I got I got a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, I'm not sure when to bring it up though. Actually, this is a good spot to bring it up before we get into Leafs Habs because that's our last part. Um, I think you're right. Actually, we did talk about who's going to win the series because I think I had Leafs and six. Whatever. Um, I, I brought something up tonight to again to our group chat and i said why don't nhl teams play man-to-man defense and i just i just look at watching some highlights and i'm like you see guys open all over the place and i get that well you know other guys are faster than other guys why aren't you matching up your fastest guys with the fastest players and all there you're is a doing lot of teams new york does that the islanders do that quite often and they do they have success on do they have success on d Somewhat, but it just hurts their transition. You see it with some teams do it depending on the lines and stuff, but you can't always get away with it, especially with line matching and home and away. You just can't try and switch that often. But you do see teams quite often do it, especially on cycles, and that's where you see defensemen get up high and they get lost up high. So I think that's why teams go away from it overall. But I don't know how you're going to get lost, I guess, is the thing. Because, like, growing up, right, and you're playing minor hockey, you de- you don't really get taught zone zone D, you, or sorry, man D. You, all you get taught is zone D. Wingers, you're up at the point. Centerman, you're chasing the puck. D, you're in the right. If the puck's in your corner, you're there. If you're not, you're in front of the net. That's just zone D, right? I don't understand why it's why, why man D is seriously not taught more. I mean, it's effective in almost every other league in sports. Not like that. That's a that's a head on head team that you're act that it's a movement sport. Baseball, obviously, you don't man to man, but. You know, NBA, you have man-to-man, uh, and they, they try for switches and stuff like that, and I get that. But And same with the NFL. The NFL has zone, they have man. I just don't see why you can't do it better. And it looked to me like some of these series where guys are getting lost and um, and they're playing and they're playing more of a or more of a zone, the zone defense, and it just got me thinking. It was a random thought, but I'm like, man, if you just stick on the one guy just for like a little bit longer, how, how are they going to go anywhere? Yeah, you just see teams get in too much trouble, especially when a defenseman gets dragged up high and it just really hurts it. And then you can see some of these moving picks that the NHL is horrible at in general right now. 
And I think just the physicality of it in corners and stuff makes it way more difficult than even basketball. And that's why you see basketball, depending on matchups, go back and forth between zone and man. So it's pretty much the same here. I mean, you've seen some of the most effective basketball when Nick Nurse has done the box and one where it's four guys in zone and then one guy playing man to man. So the NHL does it more than you think they do, but it's just there's so many issues with the different style of game. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that makes sense. Is it no, nothing I want to like talk about too too much? But it was just thought in my head, and I was like, hey, why not? Okay, so we got Leafs Habs tomorrow night. I'm decked out in all blue and white. So the first thing that I want to talk about is is that if it goes to a game six, the Habs get fans in the building. Let me ask you this question before we get into that. So, because the Quebec is saying they're going to have 2,500 fans, can you see? Toronto and the Ontario government allowing fans, even like vaccinated healthcare workers into Scotiabank Arena, or are they just going to say, nope, ain't going to happen? It's no, the Leafs. I can't, I can't see it happening. It's just Ontario's so weird with their laws right now. I don't even want to try and speculate that. If they're going to do it anytime this series, they'll have an announcement and plan tomorrow. So maybe, but I just don't see it happening. So as a general hockey fan, though, I mean, you're a massive Leafs fan. You probably don't want to see this go seven. But if this goes to game six, to see fans in the Bell Center in playoff hockey, just as a general sports and hockey fan, that's going to be awesome. It's only 2,500, though. It's only 2,500. You don't think 2,500 is still going to make that stadium super loud? It's the Bell Center. I I don't know what that means. It's not not the ACC. I mean, you can have 20,000 people at the ACC, and it still doesn't sound like anybody's there. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's kind of a jab, but it's also true. I mean, I've been to Leafs games before, and it's not good. Um, I mean, heck, I've been to uh, World Cup games in the semifinals where it's Canada versus Russia, and the place is still quiet. Like, you go to a, any sort of Team Canada game in Calgary or Edmonton or wherever, like, the place just goes nuts. Toronto's kind of a different beast. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be a difference maker, but, hey, maybe it won't go there. Because Carey Price is letting in goals in practice and snapping a stick into, so maybe this guy will be too rattled and can't even uh, can't even skate. Man, I love to see the fire. I mean, so this is kind of we both took Leafs in six. The Leafs should win this series, in my opinion, and and in most people's opinion. Everywhere I look, though, everyone's taking the Leafs in four, five games. Like they think Montreal has no chance. Pretty big I consensus too, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. No, pretty big consensus. Like ESPN, TSN, like. There's a lot of four and five games Leafs. I don't even think I've seen one person take the Habs. No, Maybe I haven't one. seen even anybody. I've seen a couple people have it go seven and still go Leafs. But I'm just like, I know I'm uh, I'm a massive Habs fan. There's no denying that. But I still can see, I don't think they're going to do it, but I can at least see a path to how Montreal competes and how Montreal could win this series. I mean, if Carey Price gets hot, Carey Price has proven that he can be the best goalie easily. He proved it last year in the bubble. And I mean, so I got a few stats here just based on one of the guys they've been missing for a huge stretch of this year. And that's the most important player on their team is Brendan Gallagher. He ranks when he plays on that line with the and Tatar. They are a top five line in the NHL five on five. Brendan Gallagher has more goals and more points five on five over the last four years than either Taveras or Patrick Kane. The guy just gets the needle moving. So even this year, five on five, he missed almost half the year for the Habs. He finished third on the team in goals, second in expected goals, third in shots, and first in high danger chances. 
The guy just gets to the tough areas, does what's necessary. He gets this team going, and I think that's a huge underrated spot of this team that's been missing. I mean, Gallagher is just their most important player, and it's not even close. So let's go into the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is that they released the projected lineups for tomorrow night, and you weren't too happy with a couple omissions from the Habs lineup. No, so the biggest thing the Habs have is depth and speed, in my opinion. That's how they win this series. Goaltending, depth, and speed. Those are the three things that I think they have over the Leafs. So Ducharme's made some pretty weird decisions in game one. He's taken out Romanov on the back end for John Merrill, who is slower, more steady, I guess, but he's not even more physical. If you watch Romanov play, the guy hits anything that moves. He's then gone with Eric Stahl over Jesperi Kotkaniemi which I think is just a horrible decision. Eric Stahl has not looked good. Kotkaniemi has super high-end skill. He was amazing in the bubble last year. He was phenomenal. And he's just, he can skate, he can hit, he can do it all. And I just think that's, for the Leafs, having Kotkaniemi and Josh Anderson on a third line is tough to match up with the Leafs' projected lineup. And then the third omission is Caulfield. I mean, I you have Joel Armia in there instead, which doesn't really shock me for game one. But, I mean, it just takes away another speed thing, another kind of what you have the advantage of. So it seems like Montreal's going veteran, big, size, and I think they're just going to try and play physical and veteran, which is not, I think, their recipe to win the series. No, and you kind of said that from the start, right, that the first two lines are obviously skewed in the Leafs' favor. The Leafs are relatively top-heavy. I I wasn't too happy necessary i mean it's not i understand what they're doing in in the leafs bottom six um i mean angval's out um galchenyuk's out and fourth line projection was to be spezza thornton simmons which we kind of touched on a little bit which is probably be the slowest line of the series by far i mean you have the veteran presence they probably won't play a lot of minutes um but i i don't i just i just don't know so i mean third line you've got mikhaev kerfoot and felino no, you have Nash on oh, that third. Nash, line. sorry, Nash, sorry, second. yeah, sorry. Felino's on the right. Felino's on the second line with with Tavares and Nylander, and then you've got Nash centering Kerfoot and Mikheyev. And Mikheyev can't score because he's got stone hands. Nash hasn't even played a game, and Kerfoot's just going to be whining to the refs the whole game. I mean, the third line of the Leafs actually might be their weakest line. Yeah, and that's where I thought the Habs needed to take advantage. You have Eric Stahl right now playing with Corey Perry and Josh Anderson, which is still tough. But I, if you threw Cockney Emmy in the middle, I think that line is by far leaning in the Habs' favor. It makes no sense to me, though, why Nash is in there. I thought Engvall's really made a case. He scored a bunch. He looks super good. He kills penalties well that I thought for sure he should be in. Galchenyuk doesn't really shock me. There's a reason he's played on how many teams in the last year. He doesn't always show up. Yeah, he has high-end skill, but he doesn't always show up. So playoff time, do you want that? But everything I've seen from Pierre Engvall over the last few weeks, I thought he had earned a spot to at least start the playoffs. I don't know He's about got some thoughts. speed. He's got some speed. I mean, that's the one thing I look at is like he's got speed. He's got hands. He scored some goals. Um, I mean, I, I don't know who you take off of that line. Like, I, 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 I'm really confused by, the, by putting Nash in. Like, well, I, I'm, I'm guessing... I'm guessing their thought is, is that they're like, okay, this guy's got playoff experience. Like we need playoff experience, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I haven't thought the Leafs third line's been that bad recently. No. And I've been super impressed with Engvall. And I, I know you saw some of Justin Bourne's tweets about uh, Riley Nash there, right? So yeah, he yeah. scores, 
He's a very similar player to Frederick Gauthier. Slightly better defensively, but not a ton, but quite significantly worse offensively, which you're like, how is that possible? Gauthier had 13 goals in 179 NHL games. How can somebody be worse? Nash has 10 goals in over his last 200 games. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that you're looking at, yeah, which I I think the big thing is, is that they're worried on the defensive end. So I think that, that what they're doing is, is like, okay, we're expecting to not be as good on the third. And, and the same tweet is, is like, he doesn't do, he, he's very good at doing nothing and making nothing happen, which that being like, that actually is a good thing to do, right? If you are zero, like your plus minus is zero, that's a good game on the third line, right? Because if, if you have that third line with Anderson and let's just say Kakdiemi actually comes into the game, if you can have a plus minus of zero, then you've done your job. And if the, if the top, top two lines don't get it done, then there's there's bigger problems. Um, I, I have a I've, – I've got – so I'm part of a Leafs page, a Leafs Nation page, and there's a couple – I mean, these kinds of pages, like anytime playoff comes around, they just get nuts. And we talked about this kind of like stupid internet comment sort of thing. This one kind of had me like – in the middle, but I was also like, there's one comment in here, which I thought was so dumb. So I'm just going to read that. All right. All right. So this guy says, I am sick. This grammar is not so good, but we're, I'm just going to read it as it is. This does not look good for these fans. I am sick over the projected lines for the game. Playing Spezza or Simmons over Galchenyuk is nothing more than a gutless call. Hyman, uh, put Hyman on the third line with Nash and soup man and Kerfoot centering the fourth line with who am with whoever is a deep mismatch causing lineup. Now Kerfoot is on the wing and Spets at center. Like what the F. So what do you think about that? I mean, I just, whatever you're thinking there. I mean, I know I I've said it multiple times at the Habs. If you're moving Kerfoot down to the fourth line, you're not mismatching with the Habs. The no. Habs have that depth that you can't really mismatch the third and fourth lines with them. So when you're thinking about it that way, that's just a horrible take. Against like Edmonton and stuff, yeah, maybe. But that's where the Habs thrive is their depth in their third and fourth line. You're not going to mismatch them unless you're throwing Marner, Matthews, Tavares there. Yeah. And even then, like you look at the third line, you have a guy like Josh Anderson on it. I'm sorry, he's a better player than anyone the Leafs have on their third and fourth line at the moment. And I can't. I can't disagree with that. I mean, the one thing in this thing that I agree with is I, I think Galchenyuk probably shouldn't have been in over Spets or Thornton from a skill perspective, but from a lead, I think the leadership perspective is what they're going for here. Yeah. And I get it. And that's it, The Leafs are, I think are already kind of beat on that depth side. So I think you kind of go with what you can there and that's leadership and kind of that style that those guys can play with. I think that's where, I don't think you can match the fourth line that Montreal can have in that regards because is Kerfoot going to make a massive difference against Montreal's fourth line and how quick they are? Probably not. So you're going to try and go something that you might have a positive in, and that's leadership and experience. So to me, it makes more sense going those guys. The stupidest thing on this thing on this post that I thought was why I wanted to bring it up was Hyman on a third line with Nash and Soupman. And I'm like, what? You're taking Hyman off of Matthews and Marner's line. You're taking arguably the Leafs' top three player, top four player. Like this guy, like he does everything and makes every line better. And you're going to put him on the. Who, who are you then putting up with Matthews and Marner or or Tavares and Nylander? 
Like nobody. I mean, if you do that, I actually like it as a Habs fan because the Habs have the shutdown line of Dano, Gallagher, Tatar. And I think Hyman just makes it difficult on them because he does those corner. He goes in battles against Gallagher. He makes it tough on that. He wins puck battles. Who are you gonna, yeah, who are you going to throw to win those puck battles against Nobody. Gallagher? I'm sorry. Marner doesn't win those puck battles. Matthews no. kind of avoids those too. Hyman's the guy you need with those two. That's, yes. That's, it's it's, you know, it's yeah, dumb. If you move Hyman down the lineup, I think it actually plays into Montreal's favor. Okay, so then speaking of Matthews not going to the corner, I got one more for you. Then we'll, then we're going to move on. But I just again, I just I was looking through. I'm always looking for content to talk about on the pod, and I just I was like, so this guy I, again, terrible grammar, but he says what we need? Question mark. I should have just scrolled past as soon as it was that terrible of grammar. Honestly, what we need? Question mark. We need a Matthews to be a mean, miserable bully, two hands slash his own grandma type of guy. Go Leafs go. Um, I'm just going to go. I'll go first on this. Everything that that person just said in that post, you absolutely don't want Matthews to be. This guy's a, this guy's a rocket winner. He's your number one goal scorer and lights the lamp. He has 41 goals in 50, uh, six games and you want him to play the role of Simmons and Wilson. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? This guy should not even, this guy should be over at the top of the circle waiting to put pucks on the net and let, let guys like Felino, Simmons, Hyman, let them do their dirty work. You don't want your best player arguably to do anything like that or be anything involved in any sort of physicality. That's either going to get him hurt and or get him in the penalty box. Now, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't stand up for himself and be physical in the corners. He's a big guy. But he's not going to do that. He's been successful this year really not doing that. So, no, he does not need to be a two-hands-slash-his-own-grandma type of guy. No, my only argument for that, I mean, I never want to see anybody two-hands-slash-their-own-grandma type thing. But would you not love to see him maybe play that Ovechkin where he's throwing some big hits. Matthews is a large guy. He's huge. I think that's kind of underlooked. Like you watch some of these hits Ovechkin, especially come playoff time is throwing, he's throwing the body around, stepping up. Would you not like to see a little of that for Matthews? I think you do, but not, not in the, not in the type that this person's saying, right? This should not be his main focus. I don't think he should back down from it necessarily, but you shouldn't go hunt it. And, and there's a reason for that is that again, you have guys in your team to set the tone for physicality. Like Bogosian's going to be on the third line. Dermot's out. And that's something again, by the way, kind of a sidebar is earlier in the season, you said that Dermot, Dermot was going to be the odd man. Now it turns out that he is Sandine's popped up, which has actually been really good, but you have guys like Bogosian, Simmons, Felino, Hyman. Those are the guys that you want to go and do, and do the dirty work, quote unquote. Yes, Matthew should be physical, but just do what you did for 56 games of the year and you'll be successful. It's that easy. Yeah, again, last thing I'll touch on base is you just see Ovechkin come out in game one and he's throwing the body around like crazy. But he's always done Which, that. Yeah, he's always. always done that. And here's my argument against Matthews doing it. I know you, you don't like when I say it, but Matthews here comes the band aid comment. Here, here he comes. always seems to have something that's hurting. He always seems to miss a few games here and there. Yeah, yeah. he's a Band-Aid a little bit. He's not doesn't miss massive amounts of time, but it always feels like he's hurt a little bit. You look at a guy like Ovechkin. I don't know how, but the guy never misses hockey. 
he is somehow always healthy, which I don't get with the way he plays. Russian vodka. He goes off ice and drinks vodka all the time. I mean, this guy swims in fountains in Washington and doesn't he doesn't give a fuck. Like, he just does his thing. So, anyway, all right. So, that series is going tomorrow night. Um, we're going to – Saturday night is going to be the big one. Um, game two is always exciting. Generally in the first run or generally in the playoffs, first team that wins the first game wins 70% of the series. I saw that stat today. Who knows if it's actually true or not. I didn't do any back check research, but sounds about right. So let's go with it. 70% of the time you win the first game, you win the series. Um, I expect the Leafs to come out flying tomorrow night, but, uh, we are going to see. So let's, uh, let's transition cam into kind of the last couple things. Our pod's not going to be an hour and a half. Again, we're going to do a little bit of a shorter one this week. Uh, do you want to go Jays first? Or do you want to go, uh, raps first? I think we got to touch on this weekend first. We have missed on the PGA championship is this. No, weekend. no, we're, we're going to do that last. We're going to do that we're gonna last. That, we're going to do that last. Yeah, we're going to talk about the quick stuff first, then go into the long stuff. All right. So let's quickly touch on Masai, Lowry, Raptors, everything going on. Okay. So Raps did not make the plan. They had, I think, a 10 or a, a, a league-setting record of 30-plus point players, so they've got a really bright future ahead of them. We're not sure what Lowry is going to do next year. Masai doesn't have a contract. Um, very quickly, I'll say the Raps did not look themselves in Tampa. covid hit them at a terrible time and i honestly think that what i think is going to happen here is they 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 don't need a rebuild they've got enough they've got enough young pieces they need to reset and i think masai ujiri resigns in toronto in the offseason um i think kyle lowry uh, i'm going to say kyle lowry resigns with toronto on a one-year deal in the offseason i think he's gonna i don't think that he wants to go uh, away from from the Raps, I think that he missed Toronto, obviously, this last year being in Tampa. And I think he just goes back one more year and, and, and sees, you know, where to go from there. And if Masai's at the helm, I think they get it done. Yeah, so my just quick points on this is how much I want to see Lowry back. He'll be back eventually. His number will be in the rafters. He'll, he should have a statue out front of the ACC. He should get it all. The main priority the Raptors have is Masai. They need to sign Masai. He needs to stay here. I don't care what you have to give him. If you have to give him a percentage of MLSE, do it. If he has to be the GM of the Leafs and TFC too, do it. No. I will try. <laughs> Maybe not that far. <laughs> but if he needs to take like a higher-end job with MLSE and be kind of overlook all their teams or something like that, I know there's been talks like if he goes down to New York, he'll be overlooking multiple teams and multiple organizations. If they have to do that, let's do it. Masai has proven that he's – arguably one of the best basketball sports people in the world right now. So they got to keep him MLSE. They got to keep him as a part of these Raptors and just do what you got to do. He's going to be huge for this team. You've seen what he's done already and you just got to see it going forward. What it comes down to for Masai is not money because MLSE has got money and they're not afraid to use it. It's pretty obvious. They gave Babcock a massive contract and he fired him with two or three years left. They don't care. But what it, what what does come what it does come down to is winning, and if the Raptors uh, owner, so if MLSC is not committed to winning and signing players to big money and making big change, then I don't think he sticks around. But it would actually be funny if he was the GM of the Leafs, and all of a sudden you see these like seven foot tall African guys just all, all over the ice. Like that actually would be hilarious because Masai Ujiri famously uh, known for his Giants of Africa campaign. 
and act. I mean, he it's actually really, really good. I mean, he like guys like pa- Pascal Siakam, um, you know, he scouts these guys. He go over, he does his basketball camps in Africa, and yeah, I mean, he does it out of the goodness of his heart. But he finds some darn good basketball players out there and scouts some really good basketball players out there. So it would be really funny though. You see, like a kind of like a. Uh, cool running sort of situation where all of a sudden the Leafs defensive pairs are two giants that they know Charles in the back end would actually be kind of funny. Yeah. So that's just the priority of the summer needs to be keeping Masai. How much I want to see Lowry around till he finishes career. He'll be back. He's made it clear that he's going to sign a one day contract and retire as a wrap if he needs to. So Masai has got to be the priority. All right. Let's talk about the Jays here before we get into the PGA championship. So Jays currently down six, one of Boston, um, but the Jays are only a half game back of Boston. Big win last night. Shut out the shut out the Red Sox, and the Jays currently, if they lose tonight, it's one thing. But they've been coming back again. We talked about this. I keep banging the same drum. They coming back in seven, eighth, ninth innings again. They've won six out of seven, and they're sitting in second place in the AL East right now. And they're looking good. Ryu just was unbelievable yesterday. Last night, seven strikeouts. Uh, no walks, no, no earned runs. Like this guy's, he, he's, he's obviously the race. He just keeps going and and the, the healthier they get, the better that they get. They're in an unbelievable position right now. And they're just playing unreal. Yeah. Their hitting's just so good right now. Like they had a crazy amount of hits the last few games. It's just Boston had their race going yesterday too. And it was nothing for the Jays. They just, even tonight they're down six, one, it's only the second inning. This game's not over. It's far from over. If they come back and win this game 8-6 or 8-7 or something, I'm not shocked. That's how good this offense is. And this offense is still missing George Springer. We mention every that every game. week. Every week we mention that. But it's just so, it's, it's such a it's such a big point because it's just so true. Like your big multi-million, 30 million dollar man or whatever he's getting paid, he's just not there. And you're still just like this lineup is going this this is it's gonna be nasty. Like teams talk about, oh, you need you generally with most teams, you need to get through one to six, and then you kind of take out seven, eight, nine, blah, blah, blah. Name me one spot on that on that one to nine lineup that you're gonna have a problem. Yeah, Danny they're gonna Jansen, be like Dan Dan Jansen, maybe? <laughs> I don't think so. Be like eight deep. When Springer comes back, they're going to be eight deep. The catcher spot still is way below league average. I know Danny Jansen's looked slightly better recently since he called him a no one. Yeah. But that's about the only spot. You're moving Marcus Simeon, who's been unreal at the leadoff. So when good. Springer's back. He's moving weight. He's moving down to like six in the lineup. It's because Springer's your leadoff hitter. That's what he's getting paid for. So it's just super fun. And like a six, one game, I'm like, they're, this game's not over. They're not close to out of this yet. And it's just fun to watch again. It just feels so much like the years they made the playoffs there and they should make the playoffs this year again. And it's, it's fun. I just, I want them to be back in Toronto because there's nothing like going to a Jays game when they're competitive in the race and just having a few beers on a Sunday afternoon. And it's coming. It's coming. Golf is returning as we talked about. Let's get into our last piece. The PGA championship runs this weekend. One of the four majors in golf and it is uh we, we played this course on pga 2k21 or 2k20 whatever it is and uh it's not fun in a video yeah. game are you gonna try and say it can you say this course name yet kawaii kiowa kiowa kawaii so yeah what do baby interesting course for sure so here's an interesting stat about kiowa 
Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed will love this. So there's not a real true bunker on the entire course. Oh, I like which that. Which is crazy because you're thinking when we played it, there's a thousand bunkers everywhere. Mm-hmm. There really isn't. Everything is considered a waste area. So you can ground your club. You can remove rocks from behind. You can do all that fun stuff. So DJ shouldn't have any issues there. One of the craziest things about this course, though, is the wind blows. It's called the ocean course for a reason. It's on the ocean. The wind blows. So last time it was played there in 2012, 2013, or 2012, the winds got up to 30 miles an hour the one day. We had professional golfers shooting mid-90s. Rory McIlroy, who won the tournament by eight, shot 75 that day. It's crazy there. There's going to be absolute carnage there when the wind gets up. I mean, the 17th hole plays 240 from the tips for a par three straight over water. They had guys, JT was saying it was playing straight into the wind. It was playing like 270, 280 the other day. A par three. So, I mean, I love to see it. This is going to be a hard course. You're going to see some ridiculous numbers. The other thing about the PGA Championship, Berg, I didn't know if you know this, but there's a bunch of club professionals, so head pros at clubs that get into this. These guys are going to struggle out there. These guys are, like, running pro shops on a regular basis. They're not golfing every day. Oh, so what you're saying is that we should bet the cut line again, right? Plus 20 cut line? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like that. One of the bets I like on Bet365 is they let you parlay a bunch of guys to make the cut. It's a fun bet to do. Even if you only go 10 guys and not the 20, that pays ridiculous. You can still make some good money. So try and pick out some of that. And I mean, we'll get into some of our picks. But I just want to touch on some of the things about the golf course there. So, again, in 2012, Roy hold on, Macar- hold on, hold on. Turf King Report. All right, go. So the course plays wind, all the bunker things, all the things I've mentioned. The other big thing is is you see a lot of Euros do really well there. Rory McIlroy, a guy who grew up in Northern Ireland, has played a ton in the wind, played on the coast. He won the in 2012, he won the PGA Championship by eight strokes. He shot 13 under, which is crazy at this course. The next closest score was five under in four rounds. So this is just kind of the course that we can expect. This course is just amazing looking. It's got tight fairways, these massive waste bunkers. It's fun, and it should be a great weekend from that perspective. You have any thoughts on this course after uh, playing four rounds of it in uh, virtually there, Burke? This has been the Turf King Course Report um, of Kiwana. Kiwa. I'm going to get it eventually. I'm playing it in the game, yes, so it's kind of lame that I'm talking about it because I'd love to have actually been there, but I think the one thing, and these courses, by the way, are pretty accurate in the game, right? Like, they do course scope or whatever it's called. Like, they actually get the, the, what's it called? Is it course scope? It's it's a LiDAR program that does a geoscape of the actual golf course. Okay, so basically it just gets the slopes and everything right, though. So, like, playing the game, it's like playing it in real life. Should be as close as you can get. Yeah, you basically, from the LiDAR program that they add in the game, you just have to add the plants, trees, and like just actually texture the greens and fairways, but it's about as accurate as you can get. Okay, so my one take from this is, is that every green is on a freaking mountain. Like, if you end up in the sand or waste area, quote-unquote, as you said, it's a bunker. It's really just a mile. It's a 546-yard bunker up multiple fairways. The fairways are narrow. If you get, If you screw up anything then you are having to chip it out of the fairway like 15 yards in the air 
and stopping it on a dime with greens that run off the back. Like I, it's, it's un, like, I just don't, especially with wind, like, come on. I, I just, if the, if the final score was any less than like minus 13, minus 10, I'd be shocked. And I know that scores have been high recently. Right. And that's something that the PGA hasn't loved necessarily. I mean, obviously it is what it is, but guys like, you know, DeChambeau and, and uh and dj like they're just they're hitting it so long so hard so straight they're cutting trees everywhere yeah that ain't gonna happen this week like it's just this is this is just going to be all about control pure striking of the golf ball um you know can can you put spin on near the greens because your distance ain't going to help you when the winds are blowing left the right 30 miles an hour and they're like 20 yards wide well, that's the also craziest thing about this course is it can play upwards of 7,800 yards, which is crazy long. That's going to be tough. Like guys like we've mentioned him before, Kevin Kisner, he has no, no chance. chance. He'd say he has no chance, but 20th does play pay pretty well. So he'll it, take it. It does. So that's where it'll be tough. It's tight, long wind. It's going to be, it could, it could really be tough this week and it'd be fun to watch. I love watching pros struggle. <laughs> I also do. Um, okay, let's let's talk about. So we're gonna make some picks here. I don't think we're gonna make multiple winners, multiple top tens. Let's do a winner, a top five, a top ten, and a missed cut. Does that sound good? We can do that pretty quick. Yeah, I don't have my numbers for a top five, but I can give you one for sure. Okay, where do you want to start? You want to start winner back, or do you want to go miss the cut? Yeah, let's go winner forward because I had, haven't really looked into it too much on a guy who I think's gonna miss the cut here. But okay. uh, I mean, I'm not. This isn't gonna count as my bet here. But throw some money on McIlroy. The guy won it last time it was here by eight strokes. This guy's playing great golf. He just won a couple weeks ago. That's like a no-brainer to sprinkle a little on him right now to win or top five or top ten. So my other pick's going to be a little long shot here. Mark Leishman. The guy actually plays great on link style courses. So in the wind, he loves shaping the ball, using trajectory, and he's plus 5,500 to win. Great odds there. Probably a lo- not a lot of people know of Mark Leishman that much, but he's a guy who I think is going to play great at this kind of golf course. He's also one of the best sand players in the world, which, again, there's a ton of waste bunkers here. And short game is going to matter because guys are going to miss the greens. These greens are tough. This is a tight course. You're going to be in sand. So the guys who are good out of them are going to do well. So is that your winner pick? Yeah, my winner pick is Marshley, Mark Leishman. Okay, so I'm going to go with, and, and you touched on this a little bit, about the Europeans. So my winner pick at plus, I think it's plus 2,000, is Victor Hovland. And we're mixing it up. I, by the way, my first kind of like, you did like a mini pick. I think Spieth still has a chance because he always has a chance and he's been good. Um, could run into trouble this week, but uh, he talks to the ball too much. It's just going to not treat him too well. Actually, I'd love to have a camera on Spieth every single time he plays because there's going to be some really good uh, sound bites from that. But, I mean, Victor Hovland, he just, his greens and regulation is unbelievable. He has eight top six finishes in his last 13 tournaments. And I don't have the exactly what he placed, but at, at key cow, shit. Uh, Q, 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 Q,
Kiowa. Okay. Okay. I got it now. At Kiowa, greens and regulation, I could definitely see being helpful. Because if you don't, if you don't hit the green and reg, there's only one other place that it's going to go. And that will be in the wasteland in some sort of sand. Like, it's just, that's it. There's the, these aren't these, these swooping, uh, links course fairways where you're going to have an easy chip in, like you're going to have difficult ships. So, you know, if you have that greens and regulation ability and you've been hot recently, and as you said, lots of European guys do well, uh, do well here, then that's kind of my, uh, my pick plus 2000 is pretty good value for Victor Hovland to win. Yeah, I like the value. Victor Hovland's a weird one for me, though, because he played a lot of his golf in the States. So I don't know if he's considered a true Euro in that general thing. Uh, but, yeah, he's maybe. he's a good ball striker, and uh, he's an interesting one. He keeps coming up and down. He plays some great golf for, like, four weeks in a row, and then he's terrible for a few weeks. So I don't mind that pick at all. So uh, we'll move into top five then. And like I said, I like Euros. I like guys who can trajectory play in the wind and stuff. So I'm going Matty Fitz here, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah, the guy like loves it. this kind of loves these kind of courses. Top five is plus eleven hundred. I think this is kind of the courses that he plays well at. He loves sand, he loves the wind, he loves kind of that style, and he's from Europe and he's played all mainly all his golf over there. So he's just a guy who's playing decent golf right now too, which is always something you got to look at. Guys, and again, like guys from Europe, as you said, like the, these guys are used to playing in wind. There's a lot of wind when you're playing over in Europe. doesn't really matter where it is. Like the courses are unbelievable. You're going to love my top five pick. Will Zalatoris. I'm Who hopping on the hype train. Who is that? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I maybe his success at the Masters was because I called him a nobody. I think that might be the other example. I mean, runner-up, right? Um, yeah. Th- this guy's got like, – I mean, he's due. He, he's, he's due for a major. I think the one thing I think that separates Zalatoris a little bit and – and it could go either way because the course demands you to have a, ha- a high ball flight, I think, right? Because the greens are raised, and if you have a really low ball flight – you might not catch as much. The, the problem is, is that with the wind, if if your accuracy is garbage and you're not hitting it properly, then it doesn't do you much good with a high ball flight. Um, but he's like his approaches and just the way that he swings the club. He's been excellent recently. I think that can definitely help him. And he's just been chugging along, man. He's due. He's due. But I think the top five is a good spot for him. Yeah, I just think this is a really interesting course for Will. I really like him as a golfer. I really love watching him. He's a great interview. He's just a phenomenal guy, and I think he's going to be fun for years. I just think this is a tough course for a guy who doesn't have much major experience. And some of the points you made, like he does hit it extremely high, which can be tough if the winds are up. If the winds aren't up, then I actually do like him. But I don't know how much I really like him overall this week. Well, and, and I guess we'll see. But, I mean, the good news is is I know who he is. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, hey, Will the caddy Zalatoris for a top five. So did you want to make a top ten pick here as well? Yeah, I think I'll do a top ten. Uh, ooh, let me just go down my list here. Hmm. I'm just looking at who I don't think is going to be in there. I think my top 10 lock has got it. I think Rory McIlroy is due. 
I think I like I'm kind of piggybacking. I don't I don't really think that he's going to win, but I think that he's definitely having the experience of winning the event, you know, however many years ago it was, eight, eight, nine years ago, as you get mauled by your dog, um, eight, nine years ago was good. And I think that he, he's been on, he, he hasn't got off to great starts. I think, and this is pretty obvious to anybody that watches golf, is like Rory very rarely gets off to good starts in the first round, but in the second round he does better. If he can get off to a hot start this time around, and with and if the winds are high and other players don't do as well, if he can even get within one stroke of the lead or even have a one two stroke lead going into the second round and then just turns it up from there, it could be really hard to catch this guy. So I totally see the case for him to win, but I think top ten is a is a lock, lock, lock. Yeah, I like him to win here, but top ten, yeah, I love that as a lock. McElroy does it even if he doesn't play well in the first round. Like we've said, he backdoors top tens like crazy in majors. So he loves this golf course. If he doesn't start off hot, he's going to backdoor that top ten somehow. And Cam, what's your dog's name? Rory. So there you go. That That's an omen right there. You named your dog after Rory McElroy, didn't you? Yeah, she is named after Rory McElroy. Well, I, you were trying to, what, what was the first name that you want? Did you want to call her Tiger? What did, what did you want to call her first? I tried a bunch of golf names. Just about anything I could. I tried something like Augusta, trying to work any of that in, and that didn't fly. But Rory flew, so. Love it. This is how committed he is to Ray McIlroy top five or top ten and to win. So let's go with our miss the cut. I got my top ten too. I mean, oh sorry, I thought, you, I thought you, I thought you, I thought you agreed. I thought you were going. Rory. I did agree, but I was got a, I got two other quick ones here. Okay, all right, all right, go, go. So I got Tommy Fleetwood. I'm just sticking with the Euro guys, a guy who's phenomenal out of the bunkers. And then I got to throw money on Corey Connors. This is kind of a story we didn't hear much about this week. He was the first guy to get like a full interview, like a top 10 golfer in the world interview since Mike Weir did in 2005 at a PGA championship. So he was one of their headline interviews and media conferences. So that's how good a golf this guy's playing. He competes and stuff and he's a phenomenal ball striker. He hits it so well and so straight as putting goes at times. But I think you can get away with that here. I think if you can just hit it so well, other people are going to struggle so much that just hitting it so well is going to help. So he's a phenomenal ball striker, and that's going to help him out. What was your other one? You said you had you have two? Tommy Fleetwood and Corey Connors. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I got distracted. Uh, So you got got Flo and the Canadian, Big Maple, and – and Tommy Flo Fleetwood, friend of the foreplay podcast. Hmm. Isn't Corey Connors due for a failure? No, I think he's due to win one of these majors. He's just so close all the time. He's got to pull one of these off. We need another Canadian major. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, it'd be great for the sport. Um, let me go with who I think's going to miss the cut. And I think that this is actually very similar to Augusta. Bryson DeChambeau is missing the cut. This course, and I, there's actually, if you look at people who are talking about guys who are going to win, Bryson's in the conversation with a lot of experts, and I'm on the opposite side of this fence here. This course does not play into Bryson's game at all. Like, this guy thrives. Like, his short game's not bad, and it's one of those things that people overlook, but his strength is driving the ball 450 yards, and this is not going to help you. Like you're yeah. like this, this, this whipping the ball down to the, like you don't have a 50, 60, 70 yard fairway to hit. You've got a postage stamp to try and land one on. 
And if you don't, you're in the sand. And I, I just, I, I, the other, the other side of that Bryson thing. And the reason I think he's going to miss the cut too, is that he's going to get so rattled. Like he's going to hit one out of the sand. It's going to catch one of the slope greens and roll back into the sand. He's going to be so angry that he just goes out and just roid rages all over that golf course. Like this guy's got probably going to be like plus five, plus six after day one and just trunk slam, go home. Yeah, I actually love that pick. There's so many reasons I don't like Bryson out on this golf course. One, the guy bitches about the sand every time he's in one at a tournament. Stop hitting in it. It's a hazard. So that's the one thing about Kiowa. It is a public course. These are all waste bunkers. So the sand's not going to be even. It's not going to be perfect. And so Bryson's going to be whining about the sand all over the place. And he'll get rattled, hopefully. And, I mean, I love cheering against Bryson DeChambeau. I'd love to see him miss the cut. I love cheering against him. Is that who you got? Or who do you got? No. I'm going back uh, my route of Tony Finau is just not going to get it done in majors. <gasps> and I see him struggling out here. I just I haven't seen enough from his short game. Sometimes his putting. And this course, just you're going to need your short game. You're not going to hit greens out here. You're going to miss them with how long and how windy it's going to be. So I just don't like Tony Finau out here. Special mention, by the way, to... Um, I mean, Brooks Kapka, no chance. Dustin Johnson, no chance. I think this is honestly the same script that I had of the Masters. Although I did have DJ, I did bet on DJ to make the cut, I think, and he didn't. But I just, I just don't see, I mean, the guy pulled out with a knee irritation however many weeks ago. And I just, if, if you're historically a long hitter and just, that's what you rely on. It's going to spell trouble for you this weekend at Kiowa. Nailed it. Nailed it. It only took me like seven tries to nail it, but I nailed it. Anybody else that we should keep an eye on cam or, or is that, uh, is that kind of our, our Coles notes on the PGA championship? Yeah. I mean, I always like guys who play in the wind. So a lot of these euros, another one to kind of watch is Shane Lowry. He's a guy who's done great in the States on courses that are windy. So this is another one of those. So Shane Lowry is a, he's plus 1400 as a top five. I wouldn't mind sprinkling a little money there, but none of these euros I think are bad choices. This is going to play hard. You need distance, but you also need to know how to play in the wind and you need to play out of bunkers. And that's a lot of what these Euro guys do. So let me ask you this then. Last thing on the PGA Championship at Kiowa. What do you see the final score, the winning score being? Is it going to be between minus like 10, 15? Um, I mean, projected the winds are going to be high as we talked about 30 miles an hour. It looks like, is it going to be hovering around par? Is it going to be minus 15 to minus 20? What do you see? I think it's going to be minus five to minus 10. It wouldn't shock me if it's like even to minus five, but uh, just based on Rory McIlroy's when the winds were up that year, he got to minus 13, but number two was minus five. So I think probably minus five is a good number to look at for this winning score. I know the guys are technically better and whatnot, but this is one of the courses that I don't think length matters or how good you are. It's just going to play tough no matter what. So minus five is kind of a score. I see the winning score being around. And what about the cut? Like plus seven? I mean, it's this is one of those hard ones. I mean, the, the, the winning number is a lot easier, obviously, because you're just like, okay, hey, this is a realistic number of where you got to be to win. What about the cut? I mean, it's all going to depend again on the winds, but what, like, when the winds were up last time, I mean, there was guys that shot, what was it, eight over? 
that won the cut, cut or made the cut? Yeah, it was something crazy. So it wouldn't shock me if that cut is right around plus five, plus six. Like, it's going to be high. You Like, par's not a bad score out here when the winds are going, especially on some of these really tough holes. And so, yeah, you can easily, like, if you come into the weekend and you make the cut at even par, you're in this tournament huge with the way this course is going to play. So it's definitely going to be a higher cut than we're used to. And honestly, if you were plus five or plus six and you're down nine strokes going into the weekend, it's got to be slightly demoralizing because you're like, how the hell am I going to get nine strokes back on this guy? Um, but at the same time, as Kevin Kizer says, 20th doesn't pay bad. So, Cam, anything else that you want to chat about? We got some... I mean, the one thing that my wife's been bothering me bothering me about is is that every night I'm downstairs at the in my bar watching sports, but it's that time of year, baby. Yeah, it's just a great time of year. Playoff hockey's on, and uh, we got a major championship this weekend. So I know if the golf courses aren't open, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Morning, afternoon, I'll be watching a bunch of the golf, and then at night we got Habs Leafs, so we'll be watching hockey. So. Hopefully golf is open this weekend and you can get outside, get some exercise. Cause you know, that COVID 15 starting to add up to more COVID 20 oh, or yeah. 30 at mm-hmm. this rate. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great day and great weekend for sports. So if you got some time in between the hockey, definitely check out the PGA championship. It'll be fun. If you like watching pro struggle as much as you do on the weekend, it's a great tournament to watch. And it's also Victoria Day weekend. Classically, may drink a 2-4 in the weekend in Canada. I know that we have uh, U.S. listeners, so this is our Memorial Day a week ahead of you guys. Um, so obviously, you know, stay safe. Don't drink and drive. But uh, but at the same time, do what you can during this pandemic to, uh, you know, to, to try and have a good time. The end is the the uh, the end of the pandemic's coming i don't think we all can feel it i think we're all ready to go but just keep hanging on get your shot if you haven't if uh it's 18 plus in ontario so go out and do that a uh, little plug there we're trying to just uh, get back to the golf courses get back to uh going to ball games going to football games all of that kind of stuff and special shout out to my son who turns one years old on sunday i survived the year of fatherhood and I feel like it's at a hundred beers kind of weekend, not because it's just me drinking two four, but I survived the year of fatherhood. What do you think? Yeah, congrats, Burke. It's been a good year, and uh, you got a cute little son there. And uh, happy birthday to him! Happy birthday to Eli! Shout out to my guy, number one Leafs fan next to me, and he's a Dolphins fan and Raps fan. So that is gonna be fun. So as always, um, hit us up on Twitter at over six sports at Zach Brook over six at C Charlton turf. Uh, and, uh, and again, Hey, we are, uh, I just want to point out cam actually that we're, we're creeping up on a thousand downloads on our podcast. So thank you to everybody who, who has listened to the podcast and, uh, and we're really hoping to hit that. So feel free to just hit us with a share. If you see it pop up on your Snapchat, on your Instagram, on your Facebook, whatever the case is, when we post it, even on Twitter, whatever the case is, share it. Uh, greatly appreciated. As always, if you have a chance and you haven't done so, take two minutes out of your day, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can even just say, uh, I love that Turf King guy. I love the Turf King report. If you throw a Turf King in there, hit me up. I may hook you up with some swag. More than likely not, but I possibly could. It is available. You can hit us up for that as well. And, uh, and yeah, as always, 
we'll uh, we'll chat with you next week, as I said. And and for the Over Six Sports Podcast, I'm Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me is the man Just you know Cameron love, Cameron Charlton. No, nope, not saying it still. The Just Turf Cameron King, Charlton. Cameron Charlton. Thanks for listening to Over Six Sports. We'll chat with you next week.